pray. Amen. You may be seated. Be in prayer for my voice. Let's just pray we all get through this. I have been at camp with the kids all week long. Uh, it was worth it. Uh, I got to run around and uh, pretend I was 25 again and then get in bed at night and realize I was 45, but that's okay. Um, I did a lot of yelling with our kids, not at our kids. We got a bunch of great kids, so it was really good. But um, I'm a little trembling on the voice right now. So uh, let's just pray this goes really well this morning. This morning, I just want to begin to cast some vision for us because we're shifting into that time of year where we move out of the vacation mode and out of traveling and we start getting into the rhythms of school. Sorry, young people, but you got like two weeks left, maybe less. You're starting to move into the rhythms of school. We're starting to get back into a rhythm with work and getting back into the fall. And within the church, too, we're moving back into some of our regular programming, moving into the fall. And so my challenge for us as a community of faith is to be committed to the move of God here at Trinity. That's our challenge as staff, as elders, as deacons. We're challenging all of us to recommit ourselves to the move of God at Trinity. Just about a year ago, we began to unveil to you a different and new mission and vision that God's given us here at Trinity. And we have been unpacking that slowly and surely. You've seen some of the changes that we've made, and that will continue into the fall. And as we do that, we want to step up as a community of faith and commit ourselves to what the Lord's doing among us. And what I want to do is go to Acts chapter 2 today to begin to shape a little bit of vision about the move of God in the early church and see how that can challenge our own commitment level to the movement of God among us. So I invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one of the blue Bibles in the pews and follow along with me. Acts chapter 2 in the blue Bible is on page 1691. I've also got some uh, notes there in the bulletin for you, and I'd encourage you to follow along with me there. Let's set the table a little bit. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has just completed his earthly ministry. He has lived for 33 years, just like you and I, uh, seeking to live out this life in a way that honors the Lord. Never one time in those 33 years dishonoring the Lord, unlike us, and as he comes to the end of things, that last three years was the real focus of coming. He taught the kingdom of God. He modeled what the heart of the Father was. And then, of course, we know that that culminated in the cross by which he shed his blood for you and me so that our sins could be covered. But not just that, three days later, he resurrected himself from the dead to prove he was God, to prove he actually could forgive our sins. And that everything that he said about God and the kingdom of God was true. And with the resurrection and the crucifixion, you and I are able to have hope for all of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ and entrust our lives to him. We can see our sins forgiven and we can spiritually be resurrected now on earth, living in all the power of God. And then, of course, we have that promise once we die that we'll be in the Lord's presence forever. But the gifts of the resurrection and the gifts of the crucifixion are nothing compared to the gift that God gave us in the Holy Spirit, which first comes on the scene, Acts 22, because with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God himself moved from his throne, moved from walking here on earth to actually coming and living in every single one of us who are his followers. So now everything he calls us to do, 
everything he calls us to stand in obedience with, we actually have the power to do it. We don't have to try to do it with our strength or our intelligence or our wisdom. Now we have the power to actually live out the things of God in the world as he leads us, which is such great news. And what I want to do is I want to dive into Acts chapter 2 today. I want us to see what that first encounter with the Holy Spirit was like and how that had impact on the early church. So we're down in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what Luke tells us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now I want you to understand, Pentecost is not something that just happened in Acts 2 for the first time. Pentecost was one of the festivals that the Jews regularly participated in annually. So all Jews from all over Israel and all over the world, if they were able, would return to Jerusalem for these five festivals. And Pentecost is one of those. Fifty days after Passover, the Jews would return. And Pentecost marked Mount Sinai when Moses brought the law down. He brought the Ten Commandments down. It was the celebration, the commemoration of Moses bringing the law to the people. And scholars tell us that because of the time that Pentecost occurred in the calendar, it was one of the more heavily populated festivals because the weather was better. It was easier to travel. So there are tons and tons of people in Jerusalem while this is taking place celebrating the Jewish festival of Pentecost. So verse 2, Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now these folks are Jesus' closest followers. They're the ones who uh, followed him. There's 12, but also other groups of disciples who had followed him as well. And they're gathered together along with Jesus, his family, Mary, and his brothers. And they have been praying, and they've been waiting. And here's why they've been waiting. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told them this. He said, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what he said was, I want you to wait in the city. Wait until you receive that power. You'll know when it comes, and when it happens, you'll begin to undertake the ministry that I have for you. So Jesus ascends into heaven, and they wait, and they pray, and they seek the Lord for what he wants to do through them. That's what they're doing right now when verse 3 said they hear this blowing of a wind. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we're going to dive into what that was exactly, but this is what we need to know from the start. The Holy Spirit of God enabled this group of people to speak in a language that they were not familiar with before the Holy Spirit came on them. So it talks about this speaking in tongues. That's what Luke means when he's pointing that out to us. Now let's keep going because we're going to see what that's like a little bit later on. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, which was the blowing wind, right? A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed... They ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, 
visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So watch what's happening. The apostles receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. When he comes on them, they begin to speak in languages they did not understand. Now here's the possibility, because these 12 nations worth of people who are gathered in Jerusalem are hearing them speak in their language. So one possibility is that the Holy Spirit enabled these apostles to speak all of these different languages. But that's not what I think happened. And here's why. Because if they had each been speaking in a different language, one was Arabic and one was Cretan and one was Hebrew and this, that, and the other, it would have been confusion there and the people, even when they recognized their language, would not have been able to understand what they were saying. Not only that, in verse 13, watch what happens. There's a group of people that hear what's going on and they say, those guys are drunk. Which means whatever they were hearing, it was not intelligible to everybody, right? There was only certain people that heard it in certain languages, and that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I think happened. The Holy Spirit not only fell on the apostles to be able to speak in the speaking in tongues prayer language, but the Holy Spirit of God fell on certain people in that crowd to hear it in their own language. It wasn't one miracle. It was two miracles. And that makes complete sense because think about it. If they had just heard them speaking in their language, they've never met the apostles before. They could have just thought, well, maybe that guy knows Cretan. Or maybe that guy knows Arabic. But by doing this, by hearing it, a miracle from the Holy Spirit in their own language and understanding the message of God, it gets their attention. They understand only God could do this. Something is happening that's out of the ordinary. Now look at what they do from there. Peter stands up. And he says this, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who are living in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Which means Peter is now not addressing the crowd in that spirit-filled language, he's addressing the crowd in his normal tongue, probably either Greek or Arabic or Hebrew, whichever one, that, or Aramaic, that they would have understood there. And the reason we know he's not is because he's also talking to the people that thought they were drunk, right? And he says to them, these people aren't drunk, it's nine in the morning. This is the work of God. So now Peter is going to preach the gospel to all who are listening. Look at what he says, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Verse 21, here's what we're going to focus on. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter says, listen, what you're seeing goes all the way back to what the prophet Joel promised our ancestors. And as good Jews 
who knew the Old Testament, they would have known Joel chapter 2. Now I have a footnote at the bottom of my Bible, and it tells me exactly where he was quoting. This is Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. You see that at the bottom of your Bible? They would have known this passage very well. So when he says, and he quotes Joel, they're saying to themselves, okay, all right, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's being poured out on us, and God is at work among us. Now, I would encourage you to go home. I want you to read this whole chapter on your own. I want you to let the Lord speak to you, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter right now because we've got things to do, okay? So I want you to scoot down to verse 32. Down to verse 32. Peter is spending this entire chapter now preaching the good news of Jesus to people who have never heard it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Boy, that's really winning the crowd over there, isn't he? God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And that same promise is available to us today. For any of us who confess our sins, who repent, who turn to Jesus in faith, we can receive forgiveness. We can receive the Holy Spirit of God. God himself wants to come and live in us and redirect the course of our life. That's available for us today, just like it was available for these folks in the book of Acts. Verse 40. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them. Listen to his heart. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. One sermon. That's church growth. I tell you, if I could grow a church like that, I could preach like that, uh, we wouldn't have any financial problems here at Trinity because I would just write books and people would just come to our conferences and pay absorbent fees to figure out how to go from 250 to 3,000 in a Sunday. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. When the Holy Spirit moves, He can do amazing, miraculous things like this. And I want you to understand, we're not just talking about 3,000 because at this period of time, they did not count women and children when they counted. They just counted men. So we're not talking 3,000 people. We're talking 3,000 men. So let's just say half of those men were married. That's another 1,500, right? And then let's say that those couples had a few kids. We're anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 people that come to the faith in one sermon, baby. In one sermon. Was the Holy Spirit at work? Absolutely. When the Holy Spirit moves, when the gospel goes forward, things change. People are transformed. Things are accomplished that only the Holy Spirit can do. That's what happened when Jesus launched the church in Acts chapter 2. What I want us to focus on today is 
how did these brand new believers respond? Because their life was changed. Something was different. Their sins had been forgiven. They understood God in a way they've never understood before. So they reacted to what God was doing in their life. And I want to encourage you to write these down because what we see in the early church, what they began to prioritize should challenge us because when the Lord moved in their midst, they changed their priorities. And if we want to see the Lord continue to move in our midst, we have to reorder our priorities as well. So let's look at what they did, the earliest church to reorder their priorities. Number one, what they prioritize? They prioritize their development as disciples of Christ. I want you to read this passage together. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. Listen to what they devote themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would you take your pen? Would you just underline the last part of verse 47? Because if I could cast a vision for you, fraternity, if I could give the heart of what we're hoping to see is the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That when you go into McLeod Hospital tomorrow, that the power of God moves through you in a way that the gospel goes forth in your coworkers and people come to Christ. That's all we want to see. We want to see people respond who are watching online, who run across us on Facebook and come to faith. We want you to be able to engage with your neighbor that you've known for 25 years, but for the first time, the Holy Spirit gives you a chance to have a spiritual conversation and to meet a spiritual need, and they respond to the gospel. That's our goal. We want to see the Holy Spirit move in our families in such a way that we can reconnect with our children in a way that we haven't been able to and see them grow up in the things that we poured into them. We want to grow as disciples, but not just disciples, as disciple makers of Jesus Christ who are then able to reproduce themselves spiritually and see the Lord add to our number daily those who are being saved. And I believe if we dedicate ourselves to the things the early church did, we have the best chance to see that happen. The first was this. We talked about it. They devoted themselves. They prioritized the development of themselves as disciples of Christ. What did that look like for them? For them, that was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to praying, to speaking to this God they now have just started to get to know, to fellowship, being together with other believers, and to the breaking of prayer, actually eating meals together, gathering together with other believers. By devoting themselves to those things, it ended up with people coming to faith day by day, being added daily to their numbers. Our mission now is to make disciple makers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're shooting for. That's what every effort of our church is now, to make disciple makers of Jesus Christ who are committed to gathering for the preaching of the word, for prayer, for fellowship, and for worship. Sound familiar? Where do you think we got it? Acts chapter 2. It's right here. We didn't just come up with something crafty. It's right there in Scripture. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. When you commit to the right things, then God moves in the same way He's always moved. I want to challenge us 
What are we doing to prioritize our own discipleship as followers of Jesus Christ so that we can then learn how to make other disciples? Second thing they prioritized, their connection to the community of faith. This was sacrificial. You've got to get this. I think we read this passage and we miss the fact that hundreds, maybe even thousands of the people who made up the early church were not residents of Jerusalem before Pentecost. Clearly, there were some that came to faith who were living in the city. Clearly they were. How do we know that? Because later it says they sold possessions and they sold property in order to support the church, right? But not everyone lived there. Remember, they're from all these different nations. There's 12 nations listed there. They have come for Pentecost to worship at this Jewish festival, but then the Holy Spirit falls. They understand the gospel. Something changes, and some of them get this. Some of them, and I'm going to raise my voice because they can't go there, but some of them went home, baby. They didn't go home. Some went home, but these guys stayed. Some went home after Pentecost, but not these believers. Why? The Lord was moving so powerfully among them. They said, I've got to stay here. Here's where God's moving. They left homes behind. They left jobs behind. They left livestock behind. They stayed. And do you know why the early church had to sell some of that property and had to sell some of those possessions? I believe it was to help some of those who stayed get a start in a new city. I believe they welcomed them into their homes. I mean, thousands of people show up. You can't all get it in for the rest of time. You got to figure that out. So people are like, hey, come in my house. Hey, bunk up with me. Hey, eat at my house. Why do you think they were breaking bread and eating together all day long? Why do you think they were together? Well, because they had to have somewhere to stay until they could figure out what it mean to live in Jerusalem and be a, uh, a merchant or be a tent maker or have livestock or whatever here. They decided, I'm going to be committed to the community. They met together. They prayed. They worshiped. They listened to what the apostles had to say. Why well, listen to the apostles? The people who heard Jesus, the people who saw Jesus, the people who knew Jesus, the people who saw the resurrection. If anything, they wanted to hear what they had to say about Jesus, right? Now, I don't know how 12 people get it done with 6,000. But I, I, that was a lot of lunches, a lot of breakfast, a lot of dinners, a lot of late nights. But again, when the Holy Spirit of God is at work, he overcomes those obstacles, right? We can trust him to overcome those obstacles. And that's what he did for the early church. So they didn't just prioritize their connection to the community of faith. Number three, they prioritized joining God in his work with their resources. As I said, Acts is clear. Somebody sold property. Somebody sold possessions. Why? Because they saw God at work. They said, listen, God's moving here. And this person needs a place to stay. This person needs closure. This person needs a new hobby. This person needs that new job. This person, you know what? I, I can do this. What, what Jesus has given to me is so wonderful. I can sell this. I can do without this because I want to see the kingdom advance in this life. This is what a lot of scholars believe. They believe that some Jews were so wealthy that they would own houses and property in Jerusalem as kind of like we would have a vacation home 
because you would have to go up to the temple for these festivals a number of time of year, and then that way you didn't have to rent a place or an inn. You just kind of had your little, I guess, summer palace or whatever it was right there in the city. Some people, I'm sure, were wealthy enough to say, you know what, I don't need two homes. You know what, I, I can sell this. I can join the work of God here. Let me challenge you as your pastor. One of the things that has absolutely astounded me and blessed my heart is how generous you have been financially since the start of the pandemic. Listen, I hear pastor after pastor talk about how they're close to shutting the doors because of the pandemic, of how budgets have tanked, of how things are just going south and sideways, how they've had to lay off staff, how they've had to do that. Listen to me. The most generous season in my entire life as pastor at Trinity was 2020, 2021, and up to this point in our history. Those two and a half years, you have, I know you've sacrificed. I know you've been faithful with your rhythms, but some of you have sacrificed even more because you know this is a critical time in our culture. It is a critical time in our church. We have got to advance the gospel and we have got to make disciples. And as your pastor, I want to tell you thank you because it has allowed us to do some different things and try some new stuff. And believe me, we're stepping out on faith. We're trying to use that money well and we want to say thank you for that. It's allowed us to bring on Heather. It's allowed us to bring on Susan in different roles. It's allowed us to do different things and we believe it's just the beginning. And I'll make you a promise. You obey Jesus with your money. You obey Jesus with your money. And we promise we'll obey Jesus with what he says to do. And sometimes it's not going to make me comfortable. There are plenty of Sundays. There are plenty of Wednesdays that I look at that financial report and I am not comfortable. There are plenty of Mondays that Sharon is crunching numbers. And I'll go in on Wednesday and I'll say, are these the numbers? And she'll say, yes. And I appreciate Jesus because if it's always comfortable, then we don't have to trust him in faith, right? So every once in a while, Jesus is like, we're going to give you a down weight. You're going to have to trust me. But you know what? We're two and a half years in through a pandemic, through inflation, through layoffs, through lost jobs. And Jesus has been faithful. And you've been obedient. And I want to challenge you. We need you to keep giving. Not because it's not going to get done if you don't give. Listen, Jesus gets his junk done. He takes care of his kingdom, whether you join him in that work or not. Here's why I challenge you to continue to give. There is nothing that endears your heart to the, word of the work of God as giving to the work of God. And there are few things that grow us up in our faith like releasing our money to God. You know why? Because in our culture, our culture has taught us that money is king, that money is God, that money is power. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, when I take my hand off it and say, Jesus, you gave it to me and I'll give it to you, we dethrone one God in our life so we can enthrone the real God. That's why I challenge you to give. I challenge you to give because it has tremendous power in your faith and in your growth. Last thing, whether or least believers prioritize. They advance the gospel, and they advance the kingdom. Well, Pastor Matt, how do you know that? Because I, I read verse 42 through 47, and I, I don't see any door-to-door -door witnessing. I don't see, I mean, I see them meeting together, but I don't see a lot of uh, anything going on outside. Oh, something went on outside, baby. You know how? Because in verse 47, it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, can Jesus without any Christian witness, without any scripture, miraculously save someone and bring them into a community of faith they don't know anything about? Can he do that? Yeah, he could do it because he's Jesus. He can also walk on water. How many times did he do that in his ministry? Just one. 
He can do a lot of things. But you know what he normally does? He normally takes the preaching of the gospel and the living out of the kingdom of God through his people's lives to bring other people into faith. And I believe that's exactly what happened. I believe those 6,000 went out and they said, listen, you've got to understand how good this is. You've got to understand how good it is to be forgiven. You've got to understand how good it is to have fellowship with people who are completely different, have been generous to me, who have changed my life. And they went out and people wanted connection. They wanted to be loved. They wanted to be cared for. And the kingdom advanced. We can be that in our kingdom. We can be that in Florence. We can be that in South Carolina. People are lonely. People are hurting. People are depressed. People have the world crushing down on them. They need to understand the gospel is real. It's not just real so we can go to heaven one day. The gospel is real now. It can change your life now. It can break addictions now. I saw teenagers this week at Crossroads. I saw addictions broken off of teenagers. I saw teenagers confess sins to us and and see them set free. We saw 170 teenagers make a decision for Jesus Christ. 170 teenagers in a week and there's only 800 people at the camp over a fourth of the camp because not just that did we not just have 170 kids get saved we had 70 kids that said i'll sign up for full-time ministry a fourth of the camp was changed for jesus people are broken it is not just listen to your pastor It is not just about people going to hell. People are living in hell right now. They are alone. They are scared. They are in pain. They're looking to drugs. They're looking to politicians. They're looking to sex. They're looking to money. And all it does is dig them deeper and deeper into hell. And it's only going to progress in eternity. We need a part for people now that heaven and eternal life and change and forgiveness is possible now. It's possible now. And if we've experienced that, how can we not go and tell people? So confession is your pastor. As a church, we've just not done a really good job with evangelism. That's not been our bend. But we're going to change. We're going to help you change. We're going to help you learn how to share your faith in practical ways. We're going to give you training opportunities to learn how to take what Jesus has done in you and communicate it to other people. And then if the Holy Spirit moves, he moves. If he doesn't, it's fine. We get to be obedient. We get to go and just share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus with people. We're going to train ourselves, myself included, in how to do this better. Because if we want to make disciples, you can't make disciples until they're saved. You can't grow them up until they know Jesus. But we're going to get better, I promise you. That's how the church grew. So, um, I have yelled at you enough. I got a few points left and a little bit of voice. So I'm just going to challenge you to four commitments. And if you feel like I'm getting in your business, it's because I'm your pastor and I love you. And my job is to get into your business every once in a while and just challenge how we're thinking and how we're living and what we're doing. 
So I want to challenge each and every one of us under the sound of my voice to four commitments as we move into the fall and as we move into what Jesus is leading us to do as a church. The first is this. I want to challenge you to be I want to challenge you to gathered worship on Sunday morning. I know what you're thinking. Well, I got that checked off. I mean, that went well. I mean, I'm here. You're probably thinking, well, Pastor Matt, you probably didn't even need to say that because, I mean, if I wasn't committed to gather worship on Sunday, I mean, I wouldn't be here for you to say that to me. Uh, let me share with you a statistic. Are you ready? Barna says that the average member of a church attends church two out of five Sundays in a row. That of every five Sundays, they attend two. And baby, that was before the pandemic. I think we're down in the high ones now. Wouldn't you think, I mean, just by necessity and sickness and isolation and all kinds of different things, we've really broken our rhythm, right? I mean, we had a broken rhythm before, but we've really broken our rhythm, and it's hard to get back in. I know it is. We have people, and believe me, if you're watching online right now, some of you have legitimate health problems. You have real issues that keep you at home. I'm not banging on you at all. Some of you are overseas in the military. Some of you are serving overseas and on the mission field or with work. That's not what I'm talking about. But for many of us, you got out of rhythm about two years ago because of the pandemic baby it's time to get back in rhythm like you think this is good on sunday morning or when william is singing we're praying you think it's good on tv come sit right here it's 50 times better it's 50 times right here because brian's here i mean brian this view right here this is prime time brian's here and nick's here and sandra's here and raymond's here listen worshiping god with the people of god is 10 times better you know what I enjoyed about camp? More than anything, it wasn't loud music because it was really loud. And we had some really close seats. Kids are listening to some really loud songs now. Here's what I enjoy. There was 900 kids and adults in one room. All worshiping Jesus. And there were some times I would just turn around and I would just watch people worship. You know why? Because I could feel, listen to me, I could feel the pleasure of God hearing his children sing to him. And all I can equate it to is when one of my children says something so kind and sweet to me, or when Karis wants to come up and give me a hug, that's all I can equate it to. Multiply that by 900 singing their guts out night after night. And that's probably what happened to my voice, I'll be honest. You guys sing pretty loud when it's that loud. I loved it. I want to call you to commit to gathering here, coming back and gathering here. We need each other. I need this. I need this every Sunday morning to see your faces and to be present with you and to hear the Word of God taught and encourage each other. We need each other. I want to challenge you. Commit to gathering. Second is this. I want you to commit to a smaller, connected gathering during the week. To find a smaller, connected gathering during the week. Let me give you some options. Every Sunday morning before this service starts, we have four adult Sunday school classes that are taking place. They have a wide variety of age groups, a wide variety of topics. Most of them are right over there in that building. They're online. If you go on our website, you can find where they're located and what they're teaching right now. That's a great time to connect with people on a deeper level. 
We've just started, uh, our ladies have just started a new round of D groups. They meet on Sunday nights. I've been so encouraged to hear how many of you are being a part of that and pairing up where you can be challenged in your faith, where you can memorize scripture together and read books together and, and just encourage each other. That's going on. Amy Pennington's here. Where's Amy? Was Amy here this morning? Somewhere around. Sandra Sturkey's here. You could ask Sandra. Any of these ladies, this is a great time to connect with somebody else. Wednesday nights start up in just a few weeks. Wednesday nights start back. I promise you, we have three different teaching opportunities for adults. Something will appeal to you. I promise you. They're all great teachers. It will appeal to you. We have activities for our children. We have activities for our youth. Every Wednesday night, 6.30, we have our meals coming back. So if you have a hard time getting from work and meals and all that, we have meals that you can purchase here. And they're good meals. They're by Victor's. They're pretty good. You can do that. Come out. Be a part of that. Be connected to that. And beyond that, if you got a newsletter this week, you know we're making an even different shift to help become disciple makers. After the first of the year, we're going to move from Wednesday nights into small group ministries. We're going to encourage each other to be meeting in our homes with small groups of people so that we can study and pray and live life together. And we'll move our children's activities onto Sunday nights so they can do discipleship there. We'll still have our youth on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. But we feel like this is the time to build that in and join the Lord in what He's doing to help us grow as disciples and why am i why am i asking you to commit in july to that in january because i promise you the fall is going to be your on ramp to that it is so hard to develop a rhythm and you're going to need that fall to get to the place where you're going to say to yourself listen we're going to find time to be in a small group every single week and challenge each other with people who are growing in their faith too it takes a commitment the people in acts were committed to each other not just to the Lord. And I would challenge you, you are not committed to the Lord as he desires unless you are also committed to his people. That's just the bottom line. In our individualistic American culture, you need to hear your pastor say this. You are not committed to Jesus as he desires unless you are committed to the body of Christ too. Think about this. The church is the body of Christ. How you meet with Jesus if you never see his body? Let me say it out loud. It doesn't work. Verse 3. Number 3. Where's my Bible? Over here. Number 3. I want to challenge you to find a place to minister in Trinity. I want to challenge you to find a place to minister in Trinity. Some of you are regular attenders here. Um, there are places for you to minister at Trinity even if you're not a member. There are some ministries in Trinity that only members can be a part of, like our children and our youth ministry, and I hope you understand why we do that. We need to be able to screen those folks. We need to have a commitment. Those are ways to protect our children. But even if you don't feel like joining Trinity, uh, William has talked about all the opportunities to help on Sunday morning here on the stage, all those things. We have different ministries you can be a part of. And I don't know if you picked up on this. I hope you picked up on this. But Susan has been doing this cool thing every Sunday morning called a ministry minute where a different person stands right there in the pulpit and they tell you about something that's happening at Trinity you might not have known about. You know why they tell you about that? So that you can get in and plug in and serve. So that you can find somewhere to find your unique bend at Trinity and give yourself to the Lord and to His people. So just stay tuned. Maybe it won't appeal to you one week. Maybe youth ministry and going to a, a summer camp won't appeal to you. That's fine. Maybe it's children's ministry. Maybe it's not. I totally get that. Maybe children aren't your wheelhouse. But there's somewhere the Lord has for you. And you want to talk about accelerating your growth? It accelerates when we commit to serving. 
And the fourth thing is this. I don't just want you to commit to finding a place to serve in Trinity. Number four, I want you to find a way to minister in our community, not just within our church. We are more committed than we've ever been to finding ways to move out of these walls of this church and find people who need Jesus. We are slowly developing those strategies. You'll hear more and more about those. Uh, spoiler alert, in October, uh, we're going to be working with Helping Florence Flourish in their Serve Flow project where we go into Florence in different places and we minister and meet practical needs in the community with the gospel. If you know practical needs, let us know. Maybe there's something we can join as a church and jump in on. We're slowly moving in that direction. I've challenged our youth ministry, our children's ministry, our Hispanic ministry to be moving in that direction as well, finding ways to minister outside the walls of this church. Why? Because people need Jesus. And there's tons of people that don't know about this. And they're never just going to walk in this door. They're never just going to show up. We have to go to them. Go to them with the love of Jesus and go to them with the gospel. So our praise team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a final song. And as they do that, I want to challenge us to be thinking about committing to the work of the Holy Spirit as he's moving at Trinity. What are the areas I need to recommit to? What are the areas as we get back into school and we start thinking about all the different choices that we have in front of us from sports and, and clubs and all kinds of things? What can we choose as a family that's going to make sure we also can prioritize the move of God among us? That's our prayer. So let's stand. Let's respond to the Lord in any way he's leading us. And let's respond to him.